Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 148. This interview is with Michel Koch, who has a deep and varied experience in digital transformation on the inside. Michel has worked as cross-channel director at Camailleux. He ran international multi-channel trading at MS, and most recently he was head of e-commerce at Maplin Electronics. In this conversation, Michelle and I discuss the challenges of integrating and optimizing the digital channels, particularly in retail businesses that are so heavily offline. Michelle imparts lots of sound advice coming directly out of his operational experience. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Minter Dialogue. Um, oftentimes we say back, American in New York, no, no, it's an Englishman in New York, we're, we're Frenchmen in, in London. So Michel Koch, tell us who you are, what you do, and what is your mindset? Who am I? I'm Michel. I'm uh, passionate about digital e-commerce and retail together. I'm, I'm a retailer at heart. Having done transfer, transformation roles within the catalog business, uh, the music business, and more recently retail with uh, the likes of M&S, Maplin in the UK, enjoying it and uh, hoping to, uh, to continue doing, uh, driving these changes. So uh, in, if you worked in music, I mean, music uh, was one of the first industries to be hit by the digital fray. And then, of course, you go into the, the more classic retailers, if you will, with M&S and Maplin. How do you describe the different mentalities that you have from the music industry in, that, in a retailer industry? I guess the music industry initially was, um, was mistaken by the fact that they didn't want to go direct with the customers. They had this conception that that it was not their role to go direct. Um, And they got disrupted. Uh, They got short-circuited by by those who were not expected, actually, in in this area, were not retailers at heart. Uh, They were, you know, software companies. Uh, And as music became digital, uh, it became software rather than than, uh, CD production. And uh, it's exactly like, you know... uh, people uh, doing wheels for horse carriages uh, having been shot down by, by the car industry. Right. At some point, you need to review your, your business. Uh, and I guess retailers, I mean, catalogs have done well in the sense that they've transformed or muted into pure plays mm-hmm. or died. Mm-hmm. Uh, retailers now have a unique opportunity uh, to be at the forefront of their own digital transformation, but it's, going, it's not going to change their business model so much it's just going to add a new element to um, the consumer journey and that's what's happening i mean so when you look at the retailers you said it's a unique opportunity what makes it unique because i think a lot of people in retail are sort of thinking oh my gosh i'm about to be uberized it's you know it's a it's a difficult play but what makes it unique well, it's what makes it unique is for one thing they have already the the, the customer uh, the contact with customer they have that uh, and that's you know, uh, that's nothing uh, that to be laughed at. Uh, for one thing, they have also, um, you know, uh, pr- 
prob- they're also already providing the best possible experience if they do well in stores. Uh, it's just how, how they're going to do that online and differentiate through their store, the state, that's going to make a difference. So a lot of people have said, have claimed that you know retail is dead because of the internet. Uh, it's not true. I think uh, the uh, retail is going to be the new, uh, uh, the new uh, opportunity for pure plays as well. Right, so if you look, I mean, so 90%, at least 90% of all purchases are still being done in stores around the world. So obviously the, the store remains an important part. But what is going to help them go through? If you look at Apple, is it a unicorn? And, you know, what can retailers take out and create? How can they legitimately make profitable experiences? Well, profitable experiences, depending on how, where you look at it, I think... Again, everyone is agreeing that it's all about the customers. And as soon as, and as soon as you focus on the customer journey as a whole, you cannot be wrong. And I guess uh, what retailers shouldn't miss out is that customers uh, have changed. They have embraced digital in a way that goes beyond any expectations. Uh, people uh, go online before they go in stores. They go online after they go in stores. Enduring, enduring, absolutely. So the journey doesn't stop and end at store entrance and exit. It's, it's, a long, it's, it's, it's a conversation you need to build. And the unique opportunity, I guess, for, for, for retailers is to ensure they're not leaving uh, the customers uh, and they're not letting customers go out of the stores without capturing anything in, during that visit. In the same way, they're not... They're enabling customers to engage with them before they even go to stores and after. So it's like you know building this relationship that needs to be uh, uh, high on the agenda. So you and I go around and we see these conferences, and there's pretty much nobody that's not talking about digital transformation, or at least trying to improve their omni-channel experience, customer centricity, put the customer in the middle. So I, what I, my perception is, Michelle, is that there are a lot of companies that are talking about it. From your perspective, what are the key success factors for actually making it happen, going from some idea on an annual report to a reality for the customer? Well, for one thing, I guess, there's a, there's a commitment. Commitment means uh, putting money in it, uh, putting money and efforts, putting uh, not just beliefs and, and good small talk, but also doing the doing. It starts from the top. Uh, if, if your you know, um, board is not totally bought in and actually some are also trained on what it is about understanding what it's about what the challenges are and acknowledging that they don't know anything about it so they have the humility to say i don't actually know absolutely have the humility to have to to acknowledge they don't know about it and accept being trained as kids would be trained then uh, appointing someone who knows and whom they're going to trust to do the right thing and actually uh, challenge their norms uh, more than anything. Well, so who, who can provide that in a company? Let's say uh, you and I have worked in big business and, and typically we're going to look uh, get a lot of advice from our advertising agency. Are they equipped to provide that training? And if it's not them, is it a consultancy that's supposed to provide you that training that's never run a business? Uh, not necessarily. You'd want people who've run businesses. You'd want to, uh, a group of people coming from different horizons. For instance, I, I would I would very well imagine training retailers with a pure play uh, expert 
someone who's come from a very different background, who probably doesn't know much about retail but can explain what digital is about. Mm-hmm. And these people would, would be probably learning a lot, uh, confronting their business models. Mm-hmm. Sort uh, of like an aqua hire. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but then, yeah, you'd, you'd want you know, also to have uh, the same process with regards to when you hire uh, digital people or experts having them fully immersed in the culture of the company. So I think this it goes both ways. You want to train uh, hardcore retailers into what digital is about in the same way you'd want to onboard expertise that's going to be trained onto what retail is about. Mm-hmm. And at some point, the, the source will, 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 will happen. As we say in French, la mayonnaise prend. Exactly. One of the challenges that I, I see a lot of is in this digital space, bringing in the expertise. So... You have, let's say, some components that are more IT specialists and knowing infrastructures, the difference between Siebel uh, and, and Salesforce and those kind of big levels. But when it comes to bringing in more social bloggers or programmers, coders, the, the challenge is, is really onboarding them and creating an environment where they retain that sense that made them successful outside. From my perspective, technology is irrelevant technology has become so commonplace that you can actually uh, not be bothered with, with, with developers or IT departments. It's not about the IT, it's not about the systems, it's about, I mean, requirements. Just focus on what does the customer want and, and ensure you can, you know, find the right people to understand the business needs. And most of the time, the struggle, actually, with agencies, with developing, with IT teams, with developers, is that they don't they develop something where they don't understand the, the, the finality of it, mm-hmm. uh, where they don't understand the business benefit of it. So it's really about the business. So how do you how do you make that happen? Well, it's just you know you need you need developers that are going to be also trained into what the customer wants and understand uh, the end result, the need, and think through that and not think in terms of oh that technology that software is going to do well. No, what what do we need to achieve? is the main uh, focus whether we achieve it through agile development with any kind of technology doesn't really matter um, I think there's more and more um, IT departments that become uh, architects rather than actually developers mm-hmm. and it's about defining something a structure that's going to be stable that's going to look like that's going to be harmony, harmonious rather than, you know, wirings everywhere, uh, plugging uh, legacy systems with others. It's really about, you know, making something that's, that makes sense and um, having that 360 view on, um, you know, the business, the customer, and actually the, 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 the model, the, the economic model around it. So, yeah, it takes a lot of... Uh, well, commitment, like you said before, commitment and I guess uh, versatility and, uh, and and ability to uh, to 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 go out of their remit. But it's the same with the, all the businesses now. You don't have any anyone who's going to be very very much of a specialist. Um, your hardcore developer, the, the uh, you know the the one who's who's knowledgeable about what to to what how to code things, has to understand the business. In the same way, the business has to be somewhat savvy around what technologies are around. Otherwise, they're going to be um, fumigated by, 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 by providers and, and software companies. But, I mean, it's, it's 
that, that, that really amounts to a, an enormous challenge for companies because these, this is not... So we're dealing with not just legacy systems, but legacy mindsets. Yes. So how do you go about unplugging that mindset? Uh, well, uh, let's say, let's say you're, you're, I, I'm a CEO of the company and I'm an old fart who's just doing things the old-fashioned way. How do you unplug me and bring me along? And then, you know, want, warrant investment in changing the legacy system that we've had in place for the last 10 years that I invested in when I was starting. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I guess there's a, an element of, uh, of having a, a journey uh, to, to change. So taking people on trips, discovering what others do, um, start to open your mind to, you know, to these kind of changes. Sometimes having a shock with a you know, very different business model or looking at you know, companies that are actually starting uh, from, from scratch and have done game-changing you know, uh, things in, in this area and, and thinking, well, I wish we could go there. But at least you see the, you see the dream and then and, and people reflect on that and they, 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 they agree on the, on the journey. Um, the other way is probably um, you know, instill some you know very you know different people in the companies it's about the diversity it's, it's right. you know it's whom can i onboard in the company that's totally different from the usual model mm -hmm. and that's gonna actually uh, make a difference or uh, change the color of, of things by by having their their strong influence I want to go back to another point we were just talking about before, which is the hiring and retaining of these programmer geeks. And, and, a, and a number of companies with which I've been working have been looking at this. And the, the HR teams are typically ill-equipped because they're not familiar with, A, where to get them, two, how to select them, and three, how to actually retain them. If you look at Google, for example, you take your CEO and visit Google with the endless swimming pool, the endless numbers of fun, and so on and so forth. You know, they look at that like, oh, that's a cost. That's just making my employees sit around and and relax. What is this about? And, and yet, that's what it takes for some. What's your experience? My experience, I think, yes, there's an element of the new generation of workers actually have different needs, and it's not so much about the money. It's about do we have fun at work? Having fun is twofold. Is is the are the working conditions good but more importantly who do I work with what do I learn what do I get out of this experience I think there's also um, a major element that is uh, often overlooked is am I proud to work with this company and the, the pride element is really really important um, what do I get in terms of you know being the uh, the ambassador of that brand is that something I'm proud of? Can I, am I going to promote what I do outside? Am I going to be cool in my social environment? It's not so much about the swimming pool or the ping pong table. That's nice to have. And I think, yeah, for this younger generation, it, it can make a difference, but it's, it's not sustainable. I mean, that's a gadget. For me, what's more important is, is the brand doing the right thing? Do I believe in what they do? Did, do I buy in the strategy? Or do I feel that I've got old farts at the top that right. don't get what I'm doing? Right. One of the things I've seen is, is <clears throat> sometimes they will sell in a, an exciting project for the developers. We've got a challenge. It's a monumental Goliathian uh, computer issue. Yeah. You have to fix it. So that can be rather exciting. Yeah. 
the challenge is, does it fit into a bigger mission? Is the brand's bigger purpose more exciting? Otherwise, it sort of becomes a short-lived uh, assignment. Yeah, absolutely. And it has. To, I mean, whatever they, they sell it as as a, as a you know digital project or a one-off has to be part of a global and big picture. Uh, so it's very important that uh, actually when you hire these people in, in large size company, you, you get buy-in for, for the long-term vision and then tell them you're going to be critical in getting there. And that's, this is one project that's going to make a difference. And you um, give them the freedom actually to challenge your own ideas, uh, have a voice. I think it's fair to say that uh, uh, in those teams, people don't want to be, uh, you know, dictated what they need to do they know what to do mm-hmm. uh they just want better than you sometimes yeah oh, in uh, terms of the programming yeah it's programming uh it's just you know uh giving them a few basic you know uh preconditions or requirements that they the environment they can work in including working late at night coming in late in the morning of course of course and managing their own time and so forth but also trusting them to do the right thing and enabling them even to do mistakes i believe very much in that kind of ways of managing people it's just you know you see someone uh you know willing to do uh something extra because they believe it's the right thing let them do it is that really uh, i guess we, we with with developers in particular you've got a lot of entrepreneurs who are keen to do something no one has done before mm-hmm. innovate mm-hmm. let them do it right. regardless of you know the business benefit or, or business case it's just something that's going to excite them they're going to do extra hours work in the weekend to just do that and prove they're right. Doesn't work. And yeah. You. So um, I, I've just been just written an article, not published yet, but um, you know how how favorably dis- my disposition is with regard to British Airways. So the other day I'm, I I, go, I use the app British Airways and um, I, I want to check in, uh, but then it has an error and it doesn't download my mobile boarding pass, which I like to put in my face passbook, have appear on my Apple Watch. It's not more exciting. So I have to go back online to the web, and then uh, I finally figure out a way to email my boarding pass. When I go to the airport to see British Airways, whether it was online, by the way, or in my mobile app, or when I got to the airport, there was no way for me to feedback that there was an issue. So in other words, it's like, this is a problem. Hit the little X on the top right, close, you're screwed. So the point is that while you might have a regular service or product that you're selling, digital issues which are accessory to your product or service and can be feedback that's really valuable for this programmer, are, there's no channel. That's my experience at BA. How, have you ever come across that? And how do you, have you tried to address that in a typical environment like an M&S or something? Well, I guess there's different ways... Um Obviously, you go through. You you probably ended up tweeting about it or doing something like that, where you actually would get someone uh, to to get a response. That's the the nice thing about social networks is it's the, it's the ultimate uh, ways to engage with the brand and tell them about something. But you were probably keen to do that. Uh, most people would have just dropped it and and, and yeah, in the way. Yeah, absolutely. So. I guess in that case, I would very well uh, see something happening like, you know, uh, a pop-up window whenever there's an an error. The developer has thought of, you know, something's wrong with the website, whatever it is, a pop-up comes up and say, you've experienced some issue, 
please report about it. And someone centrally gathers all these elements, prioritizes them, and, and, and then... And knows how to dispatch them out. I was um, chatting with Antoine de Carvillier of um, Eurostar yesterday. He's the CIO of Eurostar, and they're using Salesforce's platform. And I was very impressed. They really are, are, are looking into how do you have immediate recognition of the passenger, whether it's an important passenger or not, you know, because you, you, you can't, you have to prioritize, and then having a pop-up chat that can immediately facilitate the, the issue. Exactly. And that's growing. I, I guess it's, it's funny to see how digital has enabled more uh, real-life contacts. Uh, it's very, very counterintuitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... and I'm amazed at how that does better. And I said, I was I was in a conference yesterday, and, and some testimonials of people said that actually, with um, your um, highly valued top of the pyramid customer, triggering a, a chat, a live chat, is much more cost efficient than anything else. And actually, using mobile phone to actually place calls with customers, real life calls not just you know chats is even is even uh, more efficient so we're coming back to this uh, real life conversation with people with real people uh, that actually are the best converters the best the most efficient and probably uh, in terms of building loyalty even better than, than anything else. Yeah, it's like Brian Kramer. He's, he's H to H, human yes. to human, exactly. with this notion of the two being like code. So it's H to two H, where the digital is facilitating human to human interaction. Spot on. And I, I see a growing trend of people using video chat because you want eye to eye as well as ear to ear. Uh, so eye contact is really powerful, and that's what stores have to come back to our initial conversations. The, unique, the uniqueness. The uniqueness is is real life uh, human interactions. That's what people want, regardless of generations. You may argue that the youngest, uh, younger generations are happy with chat. They do that all the time on their on their smartphones, but actually, there's nothing like a, a face-to-face conversation and. Uh, and that's coming back. So, all right, now let's go the other side. So we've been talking about us as passengers and, or, you know, customers in many respects. In stores, the challenge is the actual store personnel. So while I might be coming in, the systems don't work, you know, there's the digital experience, my eye-to-eye contact with the store personnel. And I come in and, Michelle, you're in the store and I, I've researched this for four hours. You need to help me with this product. And you look at me like, uh, that's not the one I know the most about. How do you address the store personnel conundrum so that you get that beautiful H-to-H or eye-to-eye experience? Well, actually, my most recent experience at Maplin uh, proved exactly the contrary to that. Ah. So the store experience was much better than the web experience for one simple reason, is that store staff are very, very knowledgeable. But it's kind of unique to Maplin. And how did that happen? They, they're passionate about the products. I mean, like a, another company we know well, La Fnac used to be known for the passionate and the expertise and then well, look what happened well they lost it but they became salesmen they, they, they didn't you know they lost the product element they lost the uh, uh, you know the training probably as well uh, they were trained on, on you know upselling cross-selling not necessarily on, on knowing the product and actually the differentiator um, is really that and my my guess is that uh, there's going to be more and more needed uh, in terms of translating those store experiences, that knowledge, onto the websites and, and capturing what happens in the store to, to just you know, deliver it online as well. And actually connecting stores with 
digital customers. So the web, your web-only customers would ultimately make a, have a conversation with a tablet, with someone in store with a tablet and showing them around. So my point here is um, there's, a, there's a missing uh, uh, you know, uh, element in store retail where you, you completely miss out the value of uh, what's in the head of the of the salesperson or the staff uh, on the ground and how much they know about the products because they had had to answer questions all the time sure. and they know which questions come back and they can they can definitely use that for the web because the web is about search mm-hmm. and find problem solution and same in in a store so, so how do you, how do you go about creating that kind of environment in a store i mean in other words you know more materially um, you've already got a number of store personnel that you can't just, you know, eliminate and rehire. What, what, what can you do in order to get that passion and knowledge embedded in your organization? Because it may not be the ballywick of everybody to have the Maplin passionate person, but what, what do you need to do to make it uh, come alive? Well, one thing is uh, you'd, you'd want to hire your best customers. <laughs> Actually, that works. Uh, I'm, I'm talking again about Maplin. The best customers are the most knowledgeable. They're passionate about the products. They're makers. They're electricians. They're, and they, you know, just offer them a job because they know already. And, and they, they're the, most, the best advocates. Did you, did you use them online as, as advisors or, I mean, literally people in store? No. People. Actually, you, you just, you know, launch HR campaigns. You know, we're hiring. And when you, you come across someone who's, who's your regular customer and say, well, by the way, would you like to work with us? I know it's a kind of bit of a bold thing to do, but that works with some niche retailers. I'm sure it's the best way to go about it. The next thing is train them uh, and not just you know, uh, talk about it. It's, it's really properly train people. If, someone, if you're, say your, your, your best-selling product is CCTV, Maplin example, you'd want to have a, a, a CCTV academy with your suppliers and get you know some of the best you know uh, knowledge around to come into a, a place where they can train people. You can uh, film that and and do you know uh, provide e-learning uh, and training on on the people's tablets. You can um, you know there's lots of ways to actually leverage um, the knowledge, the suppliers, the brands to actually train people on the products so that they're really passionate about them. And then the, um, I guess it's also about you know sharing. Uh, in, in every store you have someone who's really the expert on no, something no. And, and another one is going to be an expert. So, so, you know, just interact. But at the end of the day, what really makes a difference is your KPIs. Mm-hmm. So as long as your KPI in the store is you've got to make this amount of sales and this amount of profit... People will not focus on the products, not focus on the customer experience. They will all be focused on how can I flunk products to customers uh, regardless. If your metrics and measurements of store uh, success, and actually not just store, but overall business success, is customer satisfaction. Mm-hmm. In the same way Amazon does it, mm-hmm. in the same way lots of you know, uh, newcomers in retail have thought, well, if the customer satisfaction is great, there's no way we cannot sell uh, to those customers. They're going to be more loyal. You're going to save, save on acquisition costs. They're going to be your advocates, what I just mentioned, probably your employees at some point. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, it's just, you know, looking at the input rather than the output. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
having a different mindset around if we get the customer experience and the customer uh, opinion right, the NPS score right. or whatever metrics you want to, to use there, the rest will follow rather than you know focus on sales and short term. I so agree with that. Also, two parts to that. Then, one is: Do you believe? Is it idealistic to believe that a salesperson should be um, salaried and not commissioned? And two, do you believe, you know those things where you go to the airport and they have the, the four little smiley faces, you know, to the grumpy face, you yeah. just tap on it. Do you believe in those or is that just too much of a gimmick? That's a nice gimmick, probably good for PR. I think um, store exit surveys are relevant. Uh, you want mystery shopping uh, more, uh, you, know, you know, that's not, there's not enough of that because that's real life experiments. Uh, I mean, that like you have at, at British Airways. Uh, and um, and actually, you want a mix of metrics. Yeah, base salary is is fine. People should have, uh, you know, should should be ensured that regardless of them selling or while spending half an hour with the customers, doesn't matter what happens. What matters is the smile on the face of the customers when they go out, even if it means not making a sale at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, what matters also in the digital world, and coming back to my challenges as well, sure. is to ensure that stores are not the enemy of digital mm-hmm. and actually using it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happens in the likes of Maplin and other stores, you sell from the web in stores. So mm-hmm. there's digital in store in a way that you can help. Mm-hmm. It shows it, it's helping. And actually understanding the journey of the customer doesn't start and stop in store. So it starts before and the more actually uh, store staff can contribute to the web experience the better and right now uh, there's a lot around having store staff review products online and give their own you know like like you said what what used to be the fnac usp is is now uh, coming back and people thinking well we should leverage those opinions those credible peoples we have in stores and make make sure that they're visible online as well. Yeah, presuming they also are genuine and can allow for negative comment. Absolutely. And, um, well, they won't review negatively a product. We leave that to the customer if they want to do so. But uh, you definitely take into account negative reviews and take out any product that's not relevant for your assortment or that's not, you know, uh, providing satisfaction. Now... It's about questions and answers. It's not just reviews as well. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that you uh, you allow customers to ask questions and enrich your content on the website mm-hmm. so that all possible in- questions are answered online previously uh, prior to the uh, store interaction. Uh, but also leverage what's happening in the stores. And for instance, say, I mean, there's a, if some questions are regularly asked about a product in the store, someone should take that and put it on the website in a blog post yep. totally um, so last question for you Michelle about uh, e-commerce and so you, you've dealt with e-commerce and big business and let's say that there's maybe some um, misunderstandings about e-commerce what do you think of the biggest misconceptions about e-commerce and, and what do you need to clean up in terms of what's the truth behind e-commerce well First misconception, it's not about E, it's about commerce. Mm-hmm. So that's really important to take into account. It's retail, uh, and it's, it's, not a, it's not a different place. At least for customers, they don't care about channels. They care about experience. They care about the service. Uh, so it's just um, uh, an extension of the existing uh, retail environment. I believe... Um, 
you'd want to make sure that um, whoever does e-commerce is not perceived or seen as to be a geek. It's, it has to be someone who's as capable of running a store as running a website and ha would have the same reflexes, the same comments on the store experience as they would on the, on the website. That's the challenge. In the same way you'd, you'd expect retail people to be somewhat knowledgeable about what people can do with, or do with, with their smartphones and, and, and laptops. Um, there's an element about commitment. So in terms of challenges, yeah, clearly uh, the culture of the company uh, may be you know, uh, destabilized by the arrival of digital and people seeing, as a, seeing, seeing online as, a, as an enemy rather than a, a, an addition. But that's the whole challenge. I mean, that's, that's a challenge of, of a lifetime for me is, 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 is trying to onboard people into that, uh, that environment. And I guess uh, probably the best example is when I, I, I was to set up uh, Click and Collect for a large uh, fashion retailer and had that challenge at board level of people seeing me as, the, as a disruptor, the enemy, and someone who's going to waste time of, star, of staff in stores and you know, uh, clearly uh, taking sales out of their P&L uh, and, and actually adding trouble for stores to store. The, the, the. That's the short-sighted kind of you know, uh, silo vision of things. And I guess in, in that case, it's a lot of diplomacy work rather than anything. It's about um, just showing that you understand the core business mm -hmm. and going on the road with people, visiting stores, being where, where actually business happens in the same way you'd want to teach and show and take, take those store experts, which are great people, uh, online and show them, you know, this is what happens uh, before people come into your stores. This is what they look at. This is how it works. This is how we get traffic on the website. And actually, traffic on the website is exactly the same as footfall. And the, the, the focus of stores is footfall. If they get the, 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 the connection between you know, buying traffic from Google, uh, improving SEO through content, and so forth, they'll get it because the end result will be more footfall and more sales. And click and collect is clearly the way for the future, um, and it's happening, whereby actually people uh, buying online will make an extra purchase in the stores when they, 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 they get their parcels. So it's really, really um, important to uh, inject that, that cultural virus around digital is not your enemy, it's an ally, it's a very strong ally, and actually it's something you can leverage and grow your sales with. Beautiful. Well, that, on those wonderful words, Michel, how can someone uh, connect with you, track you down? What's the favorite route? Um, LinkedIn. Definitely LinkedIn. Michel Koch. Um, if you. That's great. Well, Michel, thanks for coming on. I like your uh, energy, your passion, and uh, I think um, you are so right. It is, a, it is trouble, and you need to stir the trouble. But you have to show them why it's going to be relevant for them and, and uh, understand the business notions, and then people will follow. Exactly. Be at the core of commerce. Uh, E-commerce is retail. Thank you, Michel. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. Where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it in iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way.
My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.